This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's King of Swing fighting though. Oh, he's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untapped holding on. What a win. Untapped from the Harrison Sandown Cup. But Gold Trip is brave. 100 to go. A leaf and a half emissary. Gold Trip is going to win the Lexus Melbourne Cup. For the next hour. RSN is cracking the codes. It's going to be an hour of power this morning because it is a huge race day today. We've got the three iconic, well-named Greyhound races at the Meadows tonight. I love this triumvirate of races and a uh, very special interview as well. The Temley, the Rookie Rebel and the Zoom Top uh, tonight at the Meadows. But before that, huge day at Sandown and a huge day at Randwick. The champion horse of Australasia is running at Randwick today and that is Animo. So looking forward to that today. Huge race meeting up there. Blue Diamond Preludes at Sandown today, always really interesting, and some of the best horses going around in the ore as well. So massive everywhere across all codes. I think it's the Night Pistol tonight at Melton, just to sort of tick it all off as well. It is, it is, the mighty horse Night Pistol, and um, isn't it great? We've gone from, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, we've sort of gone from benchmark 70s on a Saturday to this explosion of, of quality horses in both states today. This meeting at Sandown... I would have to say it is, if it's not the best meeting there, it's the best meeting for some time. It looks absolutely fantastic. The depth in the two-year-old ranks, uh, there's no standouts. But we've got horses, Queensland from WA, New South Wales, obviously, Victoria. Um, It is absolutely fantastic. And we're on a plane going to Hobart later. Yeah, indeed. (laughs) That was the voice of Simone Fisher. (laughs) Good morning, boys. Morning, Dan. Uh, that was Dan Malecki. This is Simone Fisher, and what Dan's referring to is the mega blockbuster at Sandown today. But Sandown, uh, Simone's going to have one eye on that, no doubt, and one big eye on the Meadows tonight because this is huge it tonight is at the Meadows. A huge night. It's um, <clears throat> the beginning of the unmissable carnival out there at the Meadows over the next three weeks. So we've got the three Group Ones tonight. They're all invitational, so you can expect that they are going to be exceptional fields, and they certainly are. Then uh, next week we have the heats of the Australian Cup, and the week week after that we have the heats of or the final of the Australian Cup and also the Stayers race and the name of it has um, escaped me for the moment but a big three weeks at the Meadows. So it never ends it. it's like a never ending party like those ones we used to go to Dan where you'd end up sort of uh, you know talking to the cops Forget the next day. day yeah. Hey um Last yesterday, uh, of course, uh, Dunkel won the uh, the derby in Hobart. It was a terrific escape, act of escapism from the odds-on favourite. We'll find yourself done that a few times, hasn't he, yeah. Dunkel? Yeah, no, he's and the, Harry Coffey. Yeah, no, they are the Harry Houdinis of yes, uh, racing at I the like moment. There's, oh, thank you. There's no doubt about that. Uh, so we're going to have a little reflection on that as well. Speaking of Tassie, I just found this little audio. You know, when you're sort of flicking through Twitter and you go, oh, "Okay, I'll have a little look at that." I don't because I'm not on Twitter. So no, I don't. You'd get. You did put a nice story up on Twitter this week, I must um, interject and say, about Maldestro. I thought it was a a really nice story. It showed your softer side, Matt, that some people do ask me, what is Matt Stewart like? (laughs) Well, there you go. She says mostly he's an ass. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thanks, Simone. Oh, but it was really, it was a special horse to us, Maldestro. It ran in winning post last week and then I cheated and put it on our website as well. So I double dipped. Anyway, you were talking about something from Tassie on Twitter that I... Margins. You know how we've had flight line winning by huge margins. There was an amazing race at Newcastle Races in the UK recently where the owner also rode it and it literally won by 100 metres. This is our... There was one during the week up in Queens, in New South Wales where the stewards later inquired about the tactics of the rival jockeys when a 200 to one shot led all the way. 
And this is Bernie's uh, in Tassie on the northwest coast. This is Bernie's version of that. Uh, this was tweeted out last night, and this I watched the replay. So it was tweeted out. Nobody watched it, perhaps on Sky Racing or at the track. Well, I it was saw just it on... through Twitter. I wasn't watching it at the time. You know, a lot of races are on my radar, Rather but the last at Bernie, not necessarily. But uh... the world doesn't revolve around Twitter, Matthew. Uh, okay, sorry, I won't say Twitter again because you're not on it. You probably should be. Well, anyway. it's not a matter of not being on it, but you should have. Anyway, and this is this is it. it. This is Benny Yole, of course. Um, we spoke to Craig Newitt last week about the, the terrible incident where the horses yeah. were killed when the truck rolled over. I said, this is the trainer. It was a $6 chance, but this is the... Because he's picked it up at the right time. This is at about the 400-metre mark when it takes the lead, and it ends up winning by 75 metres. Have a listen to this. And then followed by John Richard, but the uh, along the back straight and going for home is Red's good to go. It's got a well and let it go. Red's good to go. It's burst away. It's 25 metres clear in a world of its own. I'm quite American, could hardly pick up his feet, nor can Brian Hill written in silk. But this is a one act affair for Red's good to go. And Olivia Wiedenback is going to absolutely walk in the last bit. It's going to win it by about 50 metres. And down the line they come. Red's good to go wins it by 55 metres. A massive win. It was Second actually 75, day. and it put 75 metres on them in the space of 300 metres, and it was a $6 chance. You kind of have to see the audio of the vision. to It sort of makes it feel a bit better, actually. Makes but you it, wonder how good the favourite is. Uh, no, exactly right. But the segue, Dan, of course, is that we are about to fly down to that giant island to our south, and we're going to do some... Um, what do you call it? Live OBing there tomorrow from 10 till 12.30. And we're going to talk to a lot of the stars for the inevitable day. Yes. And also the well, Cup Day Hobart down there. Cup Day as well. Yep. It's good Hobart Cup field, I think. Um, a lot of interstaters. There is, isn't there? And and jockeys as well. So looking forward to that. I was there a couple of years ago. I actually called a Hobart Cup in about uh, Sylai. Do you remember Sylai? I think it was related to Hayai, who won the okay. Caulfield Cup. Jeff Murphy trained Sylai. Anyway, that was, might have been about 89, but... Um, uh, the racing there was really good last night. I enjoyed it that almost twilight time, and I think that would be helpful for Fatazzi and for Hobart, and they had some pretty good fields as well. Absolutely. Uh, huge day coming up today, and a huge show. A huge show, but I just wanted to say last night at the trot stand, I know you were calling at Geelong and I was swabbing, and um, Bob Kukemeister, who yeah. was... I heard you during the week, Matt, how a story of an 82-year-old man driving a winner at Melton just overtook anything to do with about Captain Ravishing in the general public and the wider community. And again, last night, he drove a winner in Dicko Dixon. He's only got two horses, and they've yeah. both won in the last fortnight. And he, yeah, Took a, while, a Bob a long while to work out how it's done, but he's nailing it now, old Bob, isn't <laughs> uh, he? Just another great story. And yeah. um, anyway, and there's another lady who came up to me, Heather Holloway, and I know she'll be listening. She said, I've been listening to your show since it started the 6am time slot and I absolutely love it and it's my favourite show and it's the best and all of that so thank you Heather for coming up to me and making a point of that um, well love done, that Heather. feedback so a nice night at Geelong Trots but uh, like you mentioned Matt a big night tonight at the Meadows as well and a couple of big guests we've got Andy Lord joining us soon he has got greyhounds engaged across all three group ones tonight and also Jan Wheeler um, wife of the late Paul Wheeler she'll be joining us a little bit later in the show to talk about their chances, the Bale Dogs across the three finals as well. And um, just how life's sort of rolling on without Paul there in the background. Of course, he's been 
huge in greyhound racing. Over well, the, the wheelers years. are the Godolphins and the Coolmores, aren't they? So, yeah, they certainly are. Um, so that's all coming up at about uh, 10.30 this morning. Nigel, hello, buddy. What's happening? All right. He's going to join us at about 10.30, my geezer mate from England. Uh, really nice guy, great trainer, great foreman uh, for Bart Cummings back in the day. And Nigel Blackiston has won the CFO Stakes with Suavito a few years ago. And then before that, he was the foreman for Bart for one of the great unfulfilled champions of Australian turf, and that is Saintly. I know you've been... Unfulfilled. Oh, well, Nigel will tell you that. Um, So I'm just sort of giving you a little heads up about as much as what he achieved was amazing, Nigel's great regret is that we never saw the best of that horse. Because he was sort of branded as a... There was a period there, believe it or not, in the lead-up to him winning the Melbourne Cup as a a bit of a non-winner, wasn't he? Right-handed, yeah. Left-handed, no. Couldn't go... He was the opposite of Superimpose and Vorogue. Vorogue barely won one race in Sydney. For some reason, just couldn't go there. Saintly was competitive in Sydney, but he just couldn't get on the right leg. But as soon as he got to Flemington, did he ever lose a race at Flemington? I don't think he did. I remember calling him winning a carbine club, and he obviously won a, a Melbourne Cup. Well, that's when I backed him. I'll carbine. tell you a little story. The biggest win I ever had at that stage. Car, he won that carbine club, and then he on Australian Cup Day was also the day the new market was run on the same day. And do you remember, Dan, you'll remember Sequalo and Brawny Spirit Certainly down the outside do. fence? Yes. Graeme Sampiri was the bookie. I had a massive bet on Saintly to win the Australian Cup at 8-1, to one, and he bolted in and then had an even bigger win because Shane Templeton told me that the outside rail was red hot for the new market, and mm. we identified Brawny Spirit and Sequalo down the outside fence, and... I remember, you know when you do stupid things when you feel rich when you're 23 and you're really not? Well, I would have thought it was I remember going to the Emerald Hotel with my brother and his mates, and every time they went to the bar, I'd give them a $100 note and tell them to keep the change. You'd be amazed at how devastating that was when I worked out how much money I had left over the next day. But hasn't happened with us. You do do stupid things. No, well, I haven't backed. I haven't had a win like that in your company. I think you're both mozzers. Waiting for a dinner for Matt to win before. (laughs) Well, it's not all about you guys. You know, uh, it's 16 minutes past 10. So, hello, buddy is going to join us at 10:30 to talk about um, Suavito and the great unfulfilled champion in Saintly. Uh, Jan Wheeler, of course, uh, Andy Lord, who's got a massive hand today. So we have got a massive show. And then in the next hour, Dan, Ocean's going to join us. Ocean Groves to set the scene for Sandown today. Um, lots of interviews with trainers and participants. Jockeys on their way to the races, the Duff, Animo, everything in the next hour as well. So a really gigantic Two hours coming up. St. Lee is in an awkward place with Rubidium outside him coming to the turn. Two or three lengths further back. St. Lee spotting the leaders. 5 2 50 out. Regal Centre fights back on the inside again. Puts his nose in front of Cut Up Rough. Flavour on the outside. Then came Start Answer. St. Lee is lengthening and in the last little bit. He's storming over the top of them. The mighty horse from heaven. St. Lee has got up to win it. Wouldn't Nigel Blackerson love to be settling up saintly at the hillside track today? Wouldn't that be just a... Well, he might have. He's got a first starter there, so mm. you never know. Mm. Maybe he is. Oh, that would bring back some memories of what Nigel has always said to me. Is, as great as he was, the best was yet to come, and, and it never came. Uh, and the governor joins me. Hello, Gov, and joins us. Hello. How are you, Gov? Matty and, Matty and Dan, how are you, boys? And Simone. Hi, Nigel. Hi, Simone. Sorry, I knew you were there first, Simone. I would have said hello to you first. No, oh, no. Sure we would have done have. the same. He's a gentleman. <laughs> He's just plucked straight out of Brideshead Revisited. That's him. Hey, um, Nigel, when you hear that, do you think, yes, great, but, gee, there, there was more to give, but we never got an opportunity with Saintly? He was setting those horses, Matt, but he just 
every preparation to come back into the stables, he used more development and maturity to come. He was a big, raw-framed horse, and even when he won the Cox Plate and the uh, Melbourne Cup, he travelled into Apache Page. You can still see that the frame there is, will keep on burnishing, and I think with the natural progression, he would have shown more ability as well. Yeah, he was a mental baby even when he won the Melbourne Cup on a Cox Plate and, and the Australian Cup, wasn't he? You could just tell that he was just getting his act together and then and then the rug was pulled, basically. Yes, unfortunately. I, I broke him down at Flemington on the, uh, the, 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 what, I think the, the dirt track we had there at the time. Um, you know, and his trip to Japan was a disaster because he got travel sickness travelling across there. It was a, we had to stop three times going over there. Uh, it was an awful trip to travel horses there. And he got very ill. Uh, we were lucky to get him back in, in one piece of it in, in the end. Then for him to return and win the all that he did, to show what sort of horse he was. That, well, that's right. I remember that. that's why that win was so big, the awe, because uh, it was a bit like uh, that Mark Twain line, wasn't it? That news of my death has been greatly exaggerated. And it was a bit like Saintly because he was, it seemed like a career was most likely over and he, he was a bit like a, a Lazarus and returned rather quickly, but it was also closer to the, to the end as well, Nige. Unfortunately, it was for him, Dan. I mean, let's say we're travelling to Japan, myself and Joe wrestling went across there. He, as soon as we arrived at the uh, complex, we knew he wasn't right. He had a high temperature. We treated it, and he seemed to come good. But as soon as we took off the medication, he slipped back downhill very quickly again. Um, so, so we were lucky to get him back, really. Um, he was quite serious there for a couple of days. Uh, so we took the risk. We brought him home. He recovered well, and uh, he just you know, developed into a lovely horse. The all was great. We were going to progress him for the Australian Cup. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. He did attend them. Nigel, I've been reading Les Carline's book on um, Bart Cummings and, of course, there's a, a big part of Saintly as well. And Can you just give us an insight, without me drawing it from the pages of a book, what type of a horse he was and to be around and also the relationship Joe Agrestra had with him because I know he was very in tune with Saintly and there's a number of occasions that came up in the story. There's lots of stories Joe's mentioned about Saintly, but I'm sure there's other people around him as well. Um, that's quite a lot of work in there. But when he came down the Melbourne Cup and Cox play, he was quite a tired and jaded horse. Um, Bart had put the miles into him before he travelled down off in the Hill States and the Metropolitan. And he said to me, uh, try and get him expressions, uh, put him in the ball ring, which I didn't. I ponied him for three or four days. And in between his gallops, I ponied just to try and get him perked up again and get his confidence up again. And he just blossomed. Um, I've been doing that for sort of a couple of weeks. He thoroughly enjoyed that sort of work. And uh, he certainly got the spring back in his step. And uh, he was just a beautiful horse to do anything with. He was, he was the perfect gentleman. He was kind. He loved his work. He was quite strong going. He, he bought the Norton bit for a reason. I rode him a few times myself, slow mornings. And uh, he travelled very keenly. And just with my English style, he let go and relaxed. Uh, he, you know, he come back under again, which was pleasing. And I've just lost my train of thought. Sorry, guys. <laughs> hey, um, I completely forgot what I was going to say. Nige, what was Bart's relationship with Saintly like? We know he had a, a massive oil painting of Bozam and uh, on his office wall up in Sydney, and and he was very close to, to Let's Elope. But these were all of a similar era, weren't they? Shaftesbury Avenue, Let's Elope, 
uh, and Saintly. I'm not sure whether you were still there for the other two champions that were very close together with Saintly, but did Bard have a really special affection for, for Saintly as well? I think yeah, I think overall, I think he was one of his most special horses, purely because I think he bred him as well. Um, uh, star, uh, his, what's his name? The Stallion. Uh, Sky Chase. Sky Chase. Mm. Uh, I think Bard raised him, him and bred him. Yeah, so there was a very special moment there for him, uh, breeding him, breeding him, nothing else. And he certainly had a big part in, in, in his life for him. There's one thing with uh, Saintly and probably what catapults him to being such a special animal was what Bart did with him in that spring because he come off the back a couple of surprise defeats. Uh, if it was the Craven Plate, the, the Metrop, and he was odds-on favourite and, you know, was out there. He's not finding the line and that's what it looked like. And then he turned it around, Coxplate Melbourne Cup, and we know the, the story. But it was that group of three-year-olds that I think even now we still hang our hat on as perhaps the greatest bunch of three-year-olds that, that I can recall in octagonal, nothing like a Dane, Falante and Saintly. I, I mean, it was it, it was a, a period uh, of racing that engrossed everybody every time those horses met because there was never much between them. No, they, they were absolutely stars, all, all, all three or four of them. Uh, I remember being at Rose Hill for Rose Hill Guineas I was still working up the Hunter Valley then, and Bart sort of mentioned a couple of times that coming back to run his Melbourne stables. And I was there that day, that the Rose of Guineas, and what a great race it was, and four of them going across the line together. Hey, Nigel, why Vorogue, uh, near unbeatable for a while in Melbourne, struggled in Sydney, superimposed, as much as he won a Cox Plate, he was a much better horse right handed. Saintly. Saintly's left-handed leg was so much more dominant than right-handed. Did you sort of sense that when you watched him in Sydney that he, he was almost on the wrong leg most of the time? Especially one of those horses that, you know, certain horses can adapt either way uh, very quickly. Because of his gangliness and big length about him, he possibly just struggled a bit to get over onto that right leg. Um, and again, possibly a bit more maturity and a couple more preparations. He possibly would have got it right, and you found him just as good a horse in Sydney as he was in Melbourne. Was he? I know you. Uh, we'll talk about how he was in context to the other Cummings champions and what he may have been. Uh, you would have seen a lot of Bozam and Shaftesbury Avenue lets elope, and then you would have looked from afar at. So you think was was Saintly as good as all of those? Yes, definitely. Uh, he, he had that potential. He proved it on the racetracks, the races he won, and the diversity, different distances, seven furlongs, mile. Yeah, you know, 2,000 and two, 2 miles, you know, it takes a certain horse to do that. Nigel, uh, as much as it was great and the memories, well, they would never fade for you, let alone anyone else that wasn't even working at the stable with, with Saintly, but the All Stakes uh, is pretty special for you, uh, and, I, and I wonder in a way this would have probably trumped that magic moment uh, with, uh, with Saintly was the win of, of Suavito uh, in 2016. Yes, it's my... Um Second or yeah, my third group one winner. Uh, she was an amazing little scrawny little filly come over from New Zealand by Thorn Park. But she had this toughness and tenacity about her. She was a real hard, tough little girl that just wants to win and a great will. We'll have a listen to the replay uh, just to rekindle some memories. And then certain horses come along at really important times in trainers' careers, and Latorio was another one. But this is Suavito winning the Or in uh, 2016. 
600 to go now. Turn me loose. Left alone by a length and a half to entirely platinum. Mourinho and Massini's fourth. They're followed by Rebel Dane. Trust and Gus down on the inside as Forvito needing a run from Fenway. And then came Stratum Star, Red Bomber, Hucklebuck and Bow Creek with Lucky Hustler behind them in traffic. Turn me loose around the turn. More than a length on Mourinho entirely platinum. Svovito is getting through. Lucky Hustler still in traffic and so is Bow Creek on the rail. Turn me loose. 150 to go. He's a length and a half. Svovito gets out and runs on and here's Hucklebuck coming now. Svovito got to the lead. Svovito in front of Rebel Dane. Turn me loose. Svovito wins it. Lucky Hustler flew. He was unlucky. He talk about vintage crops like Lucky Hustler. Uh, uh, such a such a uh, turn me loose has become a great. So he's a very good front runner. That, so she was a good mare in a good era, Nigel. And like all trainers, you you didn't work for Bart forever, and you've had a bit of a nomadic training career and uh, some great horses along the way. But it's it's never easy on a day to day basis. And the Suavitos of this world are uh, nuggets of gold, aren't they? Oh, they certainly are. I mean, you know, we're in a medium sized stable or boutique stable, and uh, find those horses that sort of uh, ability at group one level that don't come along every day, that's for sure. Nigel, what um, has it been like as a trainer yourself as opposed to being a foreman for one of the best trainers it's ever been and the pressures and the expectations, is it um, easier being out on your own or is it, you know, was it harder being alongside Bart where the standards were so high all the time? You'd have to always buy the buy the shout the coffees, wouldn't you, Nigel? He wasn't. He was. A, what was the old saying? Um, short arms, long pockets. He was certainly very quick getting out of taxes. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> um, as going back, Simone. Uh, obviously, when I started training, I had a lot more hair. I thought we could stay on that one. <laughs> it was a lot more pressure and volatility of being a trainer, and with you know to be a part of Bart Cummings' uh, great era of some of the champions he had. Um, it, it was, you know, I spoke to him pretty much every day when I was born on my own. Um, it was easy, really, because he left you alone. As long as he knew, he knew what was going on, I saw him twice, two weeks in the spring and two weeks in the autumn. Yeah, he was really, he, he'd drop in and the autonomy of you and Leon and uh, Ron McDonald before that was Joe Agresta. You, you always had a lot of autonomy and I, I think... To be honest, Nigel, and I probably you wouldn't sing your own praises, the, the success of the Bart Cummings horses in Melbourne were had a very heavy fingerprint of the, the Melbourne crew, didn't they? Oh, certainly. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's obviously, we've got people in Sydney have a wonderful job. It's just possibly how we can do things a little bit different when they come down to us. Um, you know, it was a long walk down from the stables to, to the track. We tied them up and down the old tarp stalls where there's where the Ellington stables are now, or down the back of the river. Um, it's just a different walk pattern we had in the afternoons. Just a different mindset, and it's got horses in good space. You can get a bit nostalgic too, can't you? I mean, you were you were at Flemington in the centre of the track when they sort of moved more from off course to on course, and I get a little bit uh, nostalgic when I drive up uh, the back there. And Saintly Place is a sign now, but it's a uh, massive apartments, and I remember the old stables and the Freedmans were up there as well. It's uh, amazing how rapidly um, things have moved on, particularly in that Flemington precinct. Uh, especially the back of the showground there, or where Bart was and St. Leon and Freedmans were. You think a number of Group 1 winners come from mm. those stables. Just incredible. And yeah. I actually, I was the first to actually name Safety Place because well, we've been to Bart's in here at the name of that stable. That's so we're right. Gonna call it. We're going to call it. I said, we said we're going to call it Safety Place. There might not be much too much safety that's in there, but anyway, we should give it a name. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now you've named a block of apartments. Well done. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> but but Nigel called it that. Go down in history, eh? Hey, listen, um, uh, you've got some runners today, two different venues, um, but you've got, uh, I reckon there's one winner you've got for us today, but you've got So Swell You Are and She's a Tilly at Yarra Valley, and you've got a horse that I see is about 201 having its first start in a Blue Diamond period, which in itself must be uh, pretty special when you've got a two-year-old running in a race like that called Sub Rising, Nigel. She's a lovely filly. I brought her when I was recovering from my injury as a bit of retail therapy as a wheeling, um, and she's grown and developed into a lovely style of horse. She's tried nice. I was hoping to take her to Ballarat last week uh, for a nice maiden, which I've been perfect for her, but some had a bright idea of moving it to Moe, which didn't suit me. <laughs> um, and that hence we are going around today purely for some race experience and see what happens. Well, you had one go around at Pakenham, uh, was it yesterday? Uh, vi, 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 and I texted you to make sure you were coming on the radio, and I said, oh, uh, what, what any level of expectation here? And she certainly ran up to it. Uh, so a very promising one there that uh, that we could look forward to next start in Vi, Vi, Vi. She's a very nice uh, progressive stain filly. She can have a, a couple of weeks in the paddock. She will appreciate softer ground. Uh, she had quite a nasty... Um, tumour cut out the front of the pebble bone when she came over from New Zealand and uh, just taking a while to get a foot right. We're on top of it now, but I think she could progress into a nice day for it. And how are you tracking along? You had a terrible track fall some time ago and it left you with uh, an, sort of some ongoing issues. So how are you, uh, how are you holding up? Is that the mental side or the vision side? Both. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Um, yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, fitting well and uh, it's old news and you move on. Good on you, mate. Hey, thanks for joining us today and to reflect well, just on... last word, your favourite jockey's riding a horse. I reckon Nigel will say, yeah, I think this horse will win today. She's a Tilly Nigel. I, I think it's both horses that um, are going to have chances. I've got two at Bendigo tomorrow, I've got a chance as well. Hey, can I just ask you, Ollie's been a great ally of yours and he rode Vi 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 the other day. You, um, through Bart you had a lot of Beadman and these sort of guys and now we've got James McDonald. You'd be a good person to ask about the relative merits. It's a bit of a bar chat but you, the, the halcyon days of Darren Beadman you, you guys were very much part of that. Um, now that James McDonald's come along and Ollie, are, are they all sort of equal on the podium of the greats these three or has anyone got their nose in front? No, I think you know, they're both all three. Names you mentioned there that's champions in their own right. I mean, Ollie to keep going as he is, but unfortunately his injury brought him to a stop, and McDonald's got it all before him. Yeah, what a bunch. As it was in that vintage crop, there's another champion. I still, I still, I still got left the figure in front of them all, though. <laughs> he had a bit in common with Bart. He had uh, long pockets and short arms too, nights. <laughs> yeah, didn't fill out the forms all that well at times, one too. Here, they tell me. <laughs> I, uh, I had a lunch, we had a lunch with him with Terry Henderson at uh, Lamaro's about three or four years ago and I was entrusted with interviewing Lester. Well, that's a tricky thing to do because he doesn't talk. So. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't uh, do a few things. Anyway, great, great pleasure to be there with great, him anyway. Uh, great jockeys, great horses and uh, wonderful to reminisce with you, Nige. And uh, I hope uh, when you walk into that mounting yard, presuming you might be going to Sandown today, it brings back all those great memories for you. And if it's at Yarra Valley, I'm sure you can visualise it as well. And good luck. Hope you get a winner. Head to Sandown, boys. And thank you for that in the show. Thank you for your time.
Nigel Blackiston yeah. there. He's a champion guy. We've known him for a long time. And, uh, look, he's had some good horses. Latorio probably would have been mm. his best, probably still is, but was unsound. Suavito, and who knows, the next Group 1 winner mightn't be far away. Um, we're going to take a break. We'll come back on the other side, and we'll speak with Andy Lord. But as we go into the break with the All-Stakes, I mean, it's a parade of champions that win this race, but perhaps there was none better than this winner in 2012. Which is now Midas Touchick, Lane Dam's Island, into the straight, now Black Caviar, the awesome racehorse, races to the front, she's kicked away now, she's home, she's three lengths clear, playing God is running on, Southern Speed is making ground, but the pride of Australia is the greatest show on earth. Black Caviar won it by three lengths to Southern Speed, playing God. And then either Elo, Doubtful Jack or Mike. And it's many people's dream to have one dog win a race or maybe get into a Group 1 final. But um, our next two guests have actually got greyhounds across all three Group, three group 1s tonight. And our first guest, Andy Lord. I know you're on the road, Andy, with your wife, Jodie, travelling down to the meadows, getting ready for a big night of racing. So good morning to you and thanks for joining us on Cracking the Coats. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you and how are the dogs travelling at the moment, Andy? No, dogs are travelling good. I haven't heard a whisper from them, so... <laughs> they'd, they'd be used to it too, wouldn't they? They're, they're seasoned campaigners. Yeah, they get used to it. This is in the mini caravan, right? You know, that you tow out the back. You know, the, the scrunch-down caravan that the yeah. greyhounds get transported or around in, maybe right? in a van. Are you in a van? Yeah, you... no, mine's not a mini one. It's pretty big as a Mercedes. But, uh, it's uh, one of the largest vans you can get. Without getting personal about finances, in order to transport elite greyhounds what sort of range of how much do you have to pay for transport vehicles like the one you got oh, the one I got cost 120000 and I got two of these so um, most trainers go for the you know if they've got a smaller team they go for like a Toyota and the new Toyotas are probably 60000 and then you've got to fit them out another five or 6000 so it's not cheap to do do you do they come custom built, or do you have to custom build them to instruction? And if you do, what well, just for the listeners who are wondering how the hell these things work, describe describe this transportation that you use and have specially fitted out for these superstar greyhounds. Uh, my one, well, when it when it comes in from uh, Germany, it, I get what's called a bus pack. So it's got the air conditioning in the back, and it's already got the floor in it with no seats. And then I get that all the cages fitted out, which you know, you're looking at five or six thousand here, that fridges, and um, then you've got to get all the beds custom made. And, yeah, it's look, it, it takes a bit. You know, they only last five or six years, and you've got to change them again, you know. Um, I was having a look at uh, your property on, on a video. Um, it really took me. What a stunning looking property. Um, I and, thought it was Lindsay Park. Training facility. It, it, it blew me away, but it must be something you must have worked hard at, but you'd be very proud of as well. Yeah, I am. And I, I built it over. Well, I went away training for a while. I bought it about 20 years ago and then always had the idea of coming back and finish, finish it off. And 10 years ago, I, I did that. And come back and I put a lot of work into it. I'm still working on it today, so... Andy, I said to you the other day on the phone, I felt like um, we heard a lot about you for a long time and then it's almost like you dropped off the radar a little bit, but now you're back with a vengeance. Um, this new property, um, the greyhounds that you've got, I mean, they're just a level above most people's greyhounds. Um, did you take a little bit of a break along the way? No, I went over to New Zealand and trained for 12 months and I trained up in Sydney with Stewie Dickinson and I moved around a little bit, obviously, 
to make money to come back and build what I've built now. And um, I was always wanting to breed. And that's what's really got me through the last 10 years is breeding. And, you know, like when you're doing it, you're doing it yourself, you, you tend to put the extra miles in and, and get the better dogs. And that's what you aim for all the time. And obviously, as I'm getting older, I don't know anyone else, but I'm, I'm always trying to make the class a little bit better and, and, and cut the quantity back, you know. Hey, um, we were talking earlier with uh, thoroughbred trainer Nigel Blackson about a golden era of thoroughbreds that uh, uh, Saintly was part of with nothing like a day in an octagonal and Falante and so on. She's a pearl is part of a vintage crew. Like you've got, well, she's fast, Amron boy. And the rivalry has extended long enough now where they're the most talked about greyhounds, not just in Australia, but of recent times because there's so much parochialism. Uh, there's Sydney versus uh, Victoria. There's uh, bitch versus dog. There's all sorts of things going on. Have you got caught up in this triumvirate with uh, pretty much with Wow She's Fast, but also with the Amron boys and, and these other ones that you're part of a vintage era of top-level greyhounds with Wow she's, uh, she's a Pearl? Oh, not really. I, I sort of, I don't know, maybe do it a bit different than anyone else. I, there's no rivalry in me. I mean, I want to win, don't get me wrong, but whoever beats me, good luck to them and I'll shake their hand and but at the end of the day, for me, it's about concentrating on my own dogs, and um, yeah, so I don't, I, I don't really get involved in that side of it. But they have electrified the sport, haven't they? Like the Phoenix was the biggest event in greyhound in modern times in greyhound racing. So these these top level performers have contributed to the, the elevated profile of the sport that you love. Oh yeah, you got to have them. I mean, back in the day, Brother Fox and National Lass, and you can go through, you know. They've been championing every year, and that's what made Graham Racing, Brett Lee. Um, people talk about them, and they want to watch them, and you always notice that even people that don't even know Greyhounds sit down and take an interest and watch the race, you know, because it's such high profile. And yeah, they do. They do really make it, and you've got to have them. I reckon if you pulled over on the way down to the servo and someone said, some normal sort of like a nomad heading to to Al Ayers Rock or something, said, what do you got in the little caravan there, mate? And you say, well, I've got She's, she's a Pearl in there. I reckon there'd be some chance a random stranger would go, She's a Pearl, eh? Well, that's impressive. I, I'd lo- If that happened, I, I, I would be inquisitive enough to ask. I'd ring the kids involved. and say, you'll never but, guess what. But I want to take a photo. A I'd yeah. take a photo and I send it to the kids. That's happened twice to us. Really? Has it? Tell us about that. Yeah, no, I pulled up at a survey. I, oh, it was a few months ago now, and Blake said to me, you got greyhounds in there? I said, yeah. He said, what's your best dog? I said, she's a pearl. He goes, is she in the van now? I said, yeah, she's on her way to Sydney. He goes, I know that dog. And then, you know, I said, what do you, what do you got to do with greyhounds? He said, nothing, but he said, everyone knows she's a pearl. Wow. See, there you go. Did you drag her out for a photo by the side of the road at the petrol station for the bloke? 35 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got three greyhounds engaged tonight. You've got She's a Pearl in the Temley, Punter's Bandit in the Rookie Rebel and Corburn Magic in the <coughs> Zoom Top. But let's just take a listen to She's a Pearl when she won the Million Dollar Chase just to jog some people's memory on how good she is. And they're racing. She's a pearl. She nailed the start. Straight to the lead. And she's two links in front going through the first corner. Photo Manda second. Good odds cashing into some trouble and Coast Model getting up on the rails. They're followed then by Richard Donner. Next came my Rinker Riley Doonan. Good odds cash. And last is Tempedes. But it is she's a pearl in full flight at the home turn. She led it by six on Coast Model. Richard Donner getting up on the inside. But this 
chase his greatness from a champion. She's a pearl, wins the $10 million chase, beats Coates, Model and Rich Sedona, fourth in photo man. Well, it, that put shivers up my spine. I hope it had the same effect with you, Andy. Yeah, it does. Hey, Andy, how far... I, I quinella that race, and um, I was happy for the second. Now, she's a good little cash model. But, well, I'm um, thinking... Caesar Pearl just does something to our family. That Even my grandkids, I mean, they'll stay up tonight and watch her. And, you know, they've got a very keen interest in it. Well, I'm sure she's contributed to um, helping pay off some of that amazing uh, facility you've got up there as well. Uh, would you prefer, how much difference does it make for She's a per, uh, Pearl? I know she hasn't done a lot of racing in Victoria, but she's the queen of Wentworth Park. Uh, you'd love to have all these big races run at Wendy Park, I imagine. When you bring her south, uh, does your confidence just come down a wee bit because she's going away from her pet track? The first couple, like it's seen down, she'd never been seen. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna have to either ring you back or end it there because that you're you're cutting out badly there. So we might we'll have one more go at it. You there? Yeah. Let's let's just have one more try. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yep. All yep. good. Yep. Okay. So yeah, no. The first couple, like when I took her to Sandown, she went there blind. And um, look, she's had three looks at the meadows now, so there's no excuses for her. I just think the camber probably doesn't suit her as much to show. You know, to show her acceleration. I hope I'm wrong, because um, normally up the back straight, and it really don't matter who she's leading. She'll put six or eight lengths on them, and that's where she breaks their hearts. And I haven't seen that in Victoria yet, so hopefully tonight it'll be the night. You know? And you've got half the field tonight in the Tem Lee. Half of them were in the phoenix as well so it's not going to be an easy task particularly she's in box four as well andy but look we're safe travels i know you're on your way down to the meadows and it's a warm day in melbourne today so i know that you'll be doing the absolute best to keep those greyhounds in their air-conditioned van nice and cool and um traveling comfortably so all the very best and i might see you there tonight thank you very much it's amazing isn't it we've got to get to a break uh, for uh, uh jan wheeler but uh the the the, the Distances people will go to follow a champion. Peter Moody told amazing stories of when he had black caviar up in Brisbane and took her to one of those beaches, and a woman drove hours and hours and followed his truck, wondering whether black caviar might be in it. And lo and behold, she was. And really, the famous story of the the woman with the beach towel down at Safety Beach with Maccabi Diva, who Lee Friedman was wading Maccabi Diva with all the press were there, and just before the third Melbourne Cup, and he wiped her down with a towel, and a woman walking a poodle came up and said, "Can I please have that towel?" and she walked off and said, I'll never wash it again. Wow. You know, so amazing what these animals do for people. Uh, 10 to 11, we're going to take a break and come back with Jam Wheeler. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Malicki and Simone Fisher. Cracking the codes. Dyna double one jump fast. Muster speed, he goes through and he leads. How do they beat him now? Dyna double one down to the judge. Leads by two on Marrera. Third is Cisco Rage, moving over into fourth place in Cosmic Owl. Then Potty Juice Potion, Extreme Knocker. Next in the field, Lithgow Panther in Grand Intention along the back. And it is Dyna number one, the leader by two and a half on Marrera, who stays with him. They've raced away from Cisco Rage, turning for home. Dyna double one clear from Marrera, who can't go with him. This is effortless brutality. Dyna double one won it by six lengths on Marrera. 
And that was one of his four Group 1 wins. And joining us on the line this morning is Jan Wheeler, who's come down from Sydney. She's actually in Melbourne at the moment. And again, Jan's got three greyhounds across all Group 1 finals tonight at the Meadows. Good morning, Jan. Thanks for joining us on Cracking the Codes. Good morning, Simone. Thanks for having me. Uh, an exciting night for you. I know it's always going to be bittersweet, but um, reliving that memory of Dinah Double One back in 2016, um, it must fill you with a bit of excitement heading into tonight's race, or looking forward to tonight's races. It does give us something to look forward to, Simone. Like you say, it's a struggle every day, but we put one foot in front of the other and keep going. It's um, And this dog is a joy. This dog is such a beautiful dog. Um, and credit to the trainers, he's just a wonderful dog and he's been excelling in everything he goes in. Jan, Paul, of course, was the biggest individual in probably in Greyhound history here and you lost your husband but you also had to consolidate the business as well. So it's been a hell of a period of time, hasn't it? Just on the, the business side of thing, has it been a, a difficult thing to keep the, the fires burning uh, since your husband died? Paul has been... Um, training, if that's the correct word, Brendan, for some time now to to um, take over if ever we wanted to take a back seat. But of course, that never came. He never wanted to. In the end, he just hung on to those reins as tight as he could. But Brendan is very capable and doing a wonderful job at the moment. We're, we're breeding as much as we ever did. We're um, sending as many out to trainers as we ever did. And the stock's coming through brilliant. We're really happy with what we've got at the moment. So it's hard not having Paul there um, to us questions you know to to check on things and see how we're going but at this stage we seem to be progressing slowly but okay and Jan I know you're very very hands-on and we see photos of you and um, you're on presentation dioceses and and all the rest of it and it happens often because you you know you have a big hand in all the group races but I know <laughs> back at home it's not a glamorous lifestyle is it oh look I always say but everyone says to me you know you're always so dressed up I said hey at home, all I wear is jeans, a T-shirt, gumboots, and I'm covered in dog footprints. That's, that's my life. <laughs> that's what Simone says to us yeah, every week. They she, don't believe she, me. she says, I'm, I'm dressed exactly. in dog clothes. We're still trying to work out what that is. <laughs> I love, we all know, us in the dog world, we know what dog clothes are. I mean, I'm, I'm continually covered. I remember I went to my daughter's wedding and I had a, a one-sleeve um, dress on and had this huge puppy scratch right down where the sleeve wasn't down my back. <laughs> And my son went over to me and said, Mum, you've got this huge scratch down your back. And I said, yep, that's part and parcel with pup stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't try and hide it. That's, that's who I am. Yeah, it reminds me of um, Eileen Ma. You know, she used to go in fashions on the field, but she would have been milking cows or working on the farm before she got ready for the fashions and had to go home and get changed again. And also the girls that turn up at the harness racing, I can't believe the dresses they wear out in the stabling area and how they, they stay clean. But Jan, all this hard work in the background, getting scratched by pups, um, whelping pups down at all hours of the night, produces champions. And um, tonight you've got Kelsey Bale in the Temley. Jarek Bale in the Rookie Rebel and Ariane Bale in the Zoom Top. Um, it's a magnificent achievement to get a dog to a group race, but to let alone have three on a big night like this and um, all good chances as well. Um, how are you feeling heading into tonight's finals? Well, I've always said, and Paul always said, we don't go to a race just because we're sure we're going to win it. We go to support the trainers and the dogs, whether we think they've got a chance or not. I think everyone that's in it has got a chance. And I think just making the final is a huge effort for everybody, the dogs and the trainers. So 
Um, I just go down and what will be will be. So long as they all get around safely, that's all that matters. Well, uh, the amazing feels. I mean, the the way Greyhound Racing uh, has, well, I say evolved, but you know, over the last six or seven years, even you particularly with your interest, your business that was involved, just probably uh, the uncertainty of what was going on, it probably would be affecting you more than most others. But to see the turnaround, the major races today, the amount of million-dollar races, the great options for great greyhounds. I mean, it's, it's quite extraordinary in such a short time of where it is and the way it's being celebrated now. Oh, for sure. Like, when, when they shut us down in New South Wales, we decided to cut everything in half, which is what we did when they started to come back. And we thought, you know, quality, not quantity, and see how we go from there. But it hasn't sort of made much of a difference at all. We're still producing what we were producing before, or we, we feel we are. We've got some great young ones coming through, very exciting ones in the future, hopefully. I mean, they can start that way. You just don't know how they're going to finish, I guess. But, yeah, it, the turnaround was unbelievable, and it's just going, you know, leaps and bounds ahead in New South Wales as well, which we don't have many dogs racing here. But, you know, even here it's going ahead in leaps and bounds since the, the turnaround. It's quite amazing really isn't it i think it seemed to give everybody that push that they needed to stand together and just keep going certainly a wake-up call but jan uh, just before we let you go what how can you see the future of um the wheel of racing at the moment like maybe it's probably hard to look forward too far in the future but do you feel that you'll just continue on as you are and um you're having plenty of success or is there any other grand plans I think we'll just keep going. I, um, I'm trying to keep it going for Paul's memory. I didn't usually attend many um, functions like this before. I tend to do it more now for him. I never took interviews before. Uh, I tend to do that now for him. I just need to keep his, his memory out there with everybody. That's my aim. So if I can keep his dream alive, and this is his dream, and it always has been his dream, um, I'll do everything I can to do that. So... Uh, talk of retiring has gone out the window now, so <laughs> it's like I'll be going until I'm in a wheelchair and delivering those pups. <laughs> I was having trouble getting up and down delivering them at night because I had three litres there one night and I said to Brendan, oh, I'm kind of sitting on the concrete and on the bricks because I've been here all night. So he was a really nice son and he went and bought me a chair to sit on. <laughs> oh, that was nice. I hope it was gold-plated or something but was, like but that. But it was an office chair that I could put my feet up. He said, here, Mum, use this. I said, oh, thank you. I thought you might say, well, I'll come and help you. No, no. Here's a chair. Oh, well, that <laughs> Enjoy. Was ni- <laughs> well, that was nice of him. Well, Jan, there's one memory <laughs> that I have of Paul and that was he was always very generous Generous with his time. Um, I didn't have a lot to do with him, but when I spoke to him, he was always very generous with interviews and you've been that way this morning. So we really appreciate you coming on Cracking the Codes and um, all the very best of luck tonight and I'll see you out there at the Meadows. Thanks, Simone. I'll come and buy a sausage sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what you're doing tonight, Simone. Good on you, Jan. Thank, good luck tonight. Simone's doing the sausage sizzle sausage tonight, sizzle. so she's got that. Dan, you're hanging around. It's been a great Cracking the Codes. Huge race day coming up all around Australia, Simone. Uh, 
put the onion on first, then the sauce, then the sausage. No, well, I was going to say anyone that is listening to the show and comes up and says I was listening to the show, they'll get extra onions, and it's all for fundraising for racing <laughs> to rehome. Extra onions. <laughs> extra onions. Well, I reckon um, this horse added extra onions. I loved him. He's my favourite imported horse of all time, and he won the Sea of Four Stakes. He wore the Godolphin Blue in 2018. His name was Hartnell. Into it, followed by Mighty Boss Shahitsi Hartnell presents down the centre with Mr. Sneaky, followed by Single Gaze, thrown him at the 200 metres from Lord of the Sky, dollar for dollar behind them, followed by Toes and Stardom, Hartnell and Mr. Sneaky, it's thrown him just in front of Lord of the Sky at the 50, Hartnell's lifting, Hartnell lifting, the big boys come back in style and won it, 